Welcome to America's Voice for Energy. Each week here on America's Voice for Energy, I have the opportunity to bring you a variety of experts, specifically the people who helped me with the expertise for each week's column that I write. This week, I wrote about um, the environmentalist efforts to kill energy production in America, specifically addressing two new stories that took place last week. And those two stories are to take place in New Mexico and in California. The title of this week's column is Keep It in the Ground at Work in America. And through this column, I address the efforts of the environmental movement, their new plan, which is, as they call it, keep it in the ground. And what their goal is, is to block fossil fuel development, oil, natural gas, and coal. Now, in New Mexico, my home state of New Mexico, we have a case where we have a company that wants to come in and drill an exploration well. This is a well that will bring economic development to the city of Rio Rancho, the county of Sandoval, and the state of New Mexico. But no surprise, the anti-fossil fuel crowd, the keep it in the ground movement, has come out strongly against it. On January 28th, the Sandoval County Planning and Zoning Committee voted unanimously to recommend that the county commissioners deny the special use permit that would allow that well to be drilled. So my first guest I'm excited to have with us is one of our members, one of, uh, one of our CARE members who is involved in this specific project, Jim Manette who has more than 35 years of experience in drilling and the oil and gas industry, and he's personally involved in this specific project. So, Jim, thanks for joining us today on America's Voice for Energy to talk about this opportunity that is available to Sandoval County. Thank you, Marita. It's a pleasure to offer some perspective on this important subject. Yeah, and it is such an important subject, and what's taking place there in Rio Rancho is really representative of what's going on all over the country. So let's start with what is your involvement with this particular project? We've spent the last 15 years or so, my, my company, uh, studying in geology, evaluating uh, physical data, evaluating geochemical data in a very intensive 15-year uh, scientific study to understand the petroleum environment in southern Sandoval County. And what we've, what we've discerned is a very convincing case that there is substantial, significant recoverable hydrocarbons in southern Sandoval County. And, and, and Frankly, the, the oil business, producing oil business is nothing new to sound of the county. Over the last 50 years, there have been over 1,600 oil wells, oil and gas wells drilled in Santa Ball County. 650 of those remain in production today. So it's, it's really confounding that, that today one well 
uh, raises a hue and cry from what are unfortunately a poorly informed uh, and, and uh, motivated group unknown, with unknown motivations to uh, fundamentally oppose new development, new funding for their children's education and their grandchildren's education and our children and our grandchildren's education, not to mention the substantial contributions that the oil and gas industry makes to New Mexico's um, capital improvement, capital infrastructure. Yeah, you know, it's, it's important to mention that funding for schools and, and first responders, public services, et cetera, because right now in this low-priced oil environment, the state of New Mexico is looking at a $30 million budget shortfall, and the legislature is currently meeting to try to figure out, as a, as, many, as a part of many other projects they're working on, but to figure out how to close that budget shortfall. And, and this is, the, the, so the, the project at hand is, is a single exploratory well to basically use completely modern technology, completely modern science, to confirm a 15-year scientific investigation into the probability, the high probability, that a third basin in New Mexico can be brought into production for the vast benefit of the state. The oil and gas industry, according to the New Mexico Tax Research Institute, provides about 35% of all funding for education and capital improvements and infrastructure. Um, why, after 1,600 wells in the county, we now face opposition on a single well that, that, that poses such potential benefit to the people of Sandoval County is, is truly uh, hard to understand. Um, so the single well, just to, to really put it in perspective, the single well bore starts out, it has about a 12-inch diameter. It's, it's drilled using modern state-of-the-art technology uh, to a, a mile and a half under the surface. And at that point, the, the well bore is about five inches in diameter. And the, the intention of the operator is to simply drill the well, log it, and pull what they call cores. In other words, actually pull some of the rocks out of the well bore, send it to a uh, petrophysical lab, and, and confirm uh, the existence of the uh, hydrocarbons and, and other important reservoir variables. And then, and then to, on the basis of that well-informed information, come back to the county of Sandoval, the people of Rio Rancho, and sit down and, and work hand-in-hand hand to develop a responsible, mature, careful, safe development program. But before they do that, as you pointed out, they've got to first do this exploration well to see is there anything there. Now, from what I understand, there's not any um, uh, hydraulic fracturing, which is the scare words that the antis use. Now, admittedly, they use those words really with no um, foundation for why this is scary, except for that the public doesn't understand it. And so because of that, they can use terminology the public doesn't know, and they have worked very hard. The environmentalists, the anti-fossil fuel crowd, has worked very hard in recent history to create an aura around the word fracking that um, has, an, has a built-in negative connotation with the public. 
you know, that's right. And it's really difficult for them to to succeed at that argument. I mean, the oil and gas industry is probably the, the most... Uh, 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 the most challenging regulatory body that interacts with the oil and gas industry in the United States is the Environmental Protection Agency. Last year, August of last year, the EPA released a near final draft of a study that conclusively establishes that in the 50 years or so that the U.S. oil industry has been fracking vertical wells, and in the last 10 years that the industry has been fracking many thousands of lateral wells across America, there are no significant instances of freshwater invasion, damage, or, or aquifer harm. And, and that's, that's coming from, from someone who doesn't necessarily want to find in favor of the oil and gas industry, but it's a fact. Um, so the fracking hysteria is, is really unfounded here. Um, I will say that in the in this in the case of this well, when the operator permits the well, they do so with an intention to ultimately complete it. In other words, there's an expectation that, that it's going to be successful. It will cost five million dollars, and they don't spend five million dollars for for no good reason. So no, and especially not not in this oil not especially not in this low priced oil environment. Well, that's right. I mean, it's a it's a very special gesture to the people of New Mexico, and after all, New Mexico is a resource state. It's a very special gesture to say, in spite of the difficult economic times, we believe strongly enough in this project to risk a substantial sum, and, and they want to have the opportunity to complete it. So they, they wouldn't leave out the possibility that there could be a, a, a track to follow the, the results of the test. But again, but as, after the, the, the results of the first well are determined, I think it's the operator's intention to come back to the people of Sandoval, the people of New Mexico, the people of New Mexico, uh, and, and, and sit down and have a mature, responsible, calm, well-informed uh, discussion about what a development program would look like. There, there's a lot of hysteria right now about uh, we're going to go down and take pictures of Hobbs, New Mexico, to show what 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 this kind of development would look like. That's that's just wrong. Um, the southern Sandoval County area is not a producing area. When you go to Hobbs or you go to Farmington to the producing basins, you're going to see a, a, a large number of, of uh, a large surface footprint, a large number of wells uh, spaced on sometimes 40 acres or even even 20 acre spacing, a lot of wells. But in a brand new non-producing basin, where ultimately if the uh, test well supports the, this probability of, of new production, it will be done on a lateral drilling basis, and, and there are the, the environmental footprint is the, the surface footprint and the environmental footprint are dramatically reduced using modern technology, modern safety methods, and instead of seeing 16 or 32 wells in any particular square mile, all you're, you're likely going to see, and this is still open for it has to be determined by the engineers and the scientists, but it's, it's probably going to be two wells per square mile, four wells per square mile, and if they do what's called pad drilling, those four wells will be aligned within a few hundred feet of each other, and they will they will effectively drain an entire square mile, leaving the other uh, 640 acres in one square mile 
occupying perhaps three acres, the other 637 acres will be pristine. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that perspective with us to help our listeners understand the difference in, um, you know, really the technology that's available today. We just have one minute left, Jim, and in our next segment we're going to talk with uh, Corrine Foster, uh, and she'll give us a little bit more information on this. But you've been great in giving us a lot of that technological uh, information on what, what would likely happen if this well is developed, what do you see taking place at this meeting that I believe is scheduled for February 18th? Is that correct? We've just got about 30 seconds left. Well, uh, we, we hope that, there, that the majority of, of Sandoval County commissioners are uh, carefully considered and, and have given careful thought to this and recognize the substantial benefit that would be very difficult to pass up for the benefit of their children, their grandchildren, the community as a whole, and that a majority of the commission will, will be wise and will see fit to allow a single exploratory well to determine the outcome and the probability uh, of, of the petroleum system that we believe exists in Sandoval County and can lead to great things for the future of New Mexico over time. Yeah, well, we appreciate you giving us that insight, Jim Manette. We're talking about uh, this one well uh, outside of Rio Rancho, California, Rio Rancho, New Mexico. Sorry about that. And uh, we're going to continue this conversation with Corrine Foster in our next segment of America's Voice for Energy. Please stay with us. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call. And I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. This week we're looking at the environmental movement's uh, attempts to block energy production. We're specifically looking in our first half of the show at an, at an effort in New Mexico. And in our second part of the show, we're looking into California. Now, these two cases are likely just just two simple examples of how this keep it in the ground movement is playing out in the real world. And so to talk to us today about the effort in New Mexico, we have Corrine Foster, who is the executive director of the Independent Petroleum Association of New Mexico. And as such, she's very involved in this project that we talked about with Jim Manat in our last segment outside of Rio Rancho. New Mexico. So, Kareen, thanks for joining us once again on America's Voice for Energy. Thanks for having me, Marita. 
So where are we on this? We, we know that on uh, January 28th, the Planning and Zoning Committee uh, unanimously recommended that the County Commission uh, reject this application for a, a zoning variance. Where are we now? Well, this, the stage that we're at right now is that we have to go before the County Commission, who is the real fact finder in this instance, for them to review the application and to uh, decide whether to allow for it or not. And one thing that I think um, that I need to remind uh, your viewers is that in the state of New Mexico, we have an oil conservation division who is the prime regulator um, over oil and gas issues in New Mexico. And the company who uh, applied for this permit, they did go to the oil conservation division first, showed them what this project was going to look like, talked about the geology, talked about what location they were going to be at, and the oil conservation division did approve the permit to uh, drill a well and to complete the well and actually produce that well. It's all in one permit. Um, at the Planning and Zoning Commission, there was this contention or belief with the Planning and Zoning uh, manager that um, he could split that permit in two. He wanted to uh, allow for the drilling of the well, so drilling the hole, um, and testing, logging it. Um, so you know, knowing what formations you're going through, looking at the viability, if there's minerals in those formations, um, and then force the company to come back and ask for a second permit. Now, Sandoval County is not an, uh, a prolific oil and gas um, producing area like some of the other counties that we have in New Mexico, although there are already 600 active wells that are in Sandoval County, but those are in the northern part of Sandoval County, closer to Farmington where the San Juan Basin is. This is a new area. Um, this is, would be considered a frontier. And so this Planning and Zoning Commission is not familiar with oil and gas. Um, the county does not have any specific re regulations about oil and gas. So what a company is left with, an oil and gas company who wants to come to Sandoval County, um, is left with is there's a very uh, uh, bland, nondescriptive uh, land use plan that says basically if you're going to be drilling an oil and gas well, you have to ask for a zoning variant. Um, and then you go before the Planning and Zoning Commission that doesn't really know anything about oil and gas, and you talk to the Planning and Zoning Manager who doesn't know anything about oil and gas and try and convince them that, you know, you need to operate a well. But in reality, legally, the county really only has authority over the surface, which in this instance is going to be a two-acre pad uh, where the well is going to be drilled. And once that well breaks the surface and goes down hole, that is 100% within the jurisdiction of the, the regulators in New Mexico. So, Yeah, I was going to ask about that. I was going to ask about that specifically because I know that you and I have talked previously about the Mora County story and that uh, I believe it was a federal court that came back and said that Mora County did not have authority to, to pass the um, – regulation that they did. So I was wondering where that kind of applied in Sandoval County. Well, it, it, apply, it applies because whenever the local government um, takes away the property rights of uh, a citizen, um, that could be considered a taking. And in Moore County, what happened was the government stepped forward and said there will be no oil and gas drilling within the entirety of Mora County 
which affected several property owners um, that IPA and M, uh, my association, we uh, teamed up with some private landowners whose land was affected, and we did take that case to federal court. So by extension, if Sandoval County decides to uh, refuse to allow this oil and gas company from coming in and drilling, this is going to affect the mineral um, interest um, property ownership of not only the surface, the two-acre surface, but all those people who possibly could own minerals um, in Sandoval County. Um, this particular area, even though I, it, it is considered frontier area, in the 1970s and the 1990s, Shell did come in and drill some wells. So geologically, I think there's potential, especially with our newer technology of hydraulic fracking and horizontal wells, um, which a horizontal well is going to have much, much less surface impact um, sure. and you can access more, um, more product. So um, I think that um, should Sandoval County decide to refuse to allow oil and gas drilling, um, on this permit or if they decide to set a moratorium or anything like that, I think every person, mineral interest owner um, would have the potential for filing a lawsuit. Um, I think also... And, and is the commission aware of there, that, do you think? I believe so. I believe that their, their attorney is very nervous about that. He's reviewing every submission that's coming in um, from both sides to decide if the county commission is supposed to, um, to look at that. Um, unfortunately, we have one commissioner out there who has already spoken to the media and uh, made his views known that he does not like oil and gas, um, and he is really breaking his um, uh, pledge to the citizens of Sandoval County to be a impartial judge, uh, a judge and fact finder in this instance. Um, so that's very, very concerning on the Sandoval County Commission. We have five people on the commission. Um, of which one has already spoken out, so we know what his position is. But I'm hoping that those commissioners will keep an open mind and look at all the evidence and really look at the science. I mean, that's been my uh, statement all along when I've spoken to people is, you know, learn the science. Um, don't be swayed by the emotional arguments um, that, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda. There might, there might possibly be a problem in the future if you allow for fracking when there have been peer review studies and EPA and BLM and all these studies have come out and said fracking does not impact groundwater. Um, what impacts the groundwater is mismanagement on the surface locations um, during a fracking operation um, or during an operation, uh, a, a just regular production operation. And um, those regulations have tightened up significantly. The OCD is really on top of operators in terms of any potential spills on the surface. So, um, you know, it, this is an industrial process, so I, can, I can't promise that nothing will ever happen out there. But, um, you know, the, the standards that operators need to adhere to nowadays and the regulatory oversight is a lot different than in other parts of New Mexico and in, uh, in other oil, older oil fields. Yeah, and in those older oil fields where those um, stringent uh, requirements were not in place, we've had no problems. That's true. There's no impact to groundwater at all. But I do know that, you know, there are some people from Sandoval County who are going to be taking a little road trip um, and going down to Hobbs and taking pictures. And, you know, Hobbs is one of the oldest developments in the state. Um, it, it has a lot of pump jacks down there, and um, they are going to come back with pictures saying, oh, look, you know, this is how the land in Sanibel County is going to get blighted. And the answer is 
what we're looking at, potentially modern drilling practices, are horizontal wells, which have much less surface impact. The government requires us to have tighter well pad locations, so we have to put our facilities closer together. Um, we have to try and commingle as much as we can. So the surface impact is going to be much, much different in a new development than it would be in an existing older development like Hobbs. So we've got a hearing coming up uh, with the Sandoval County Commission on February 18th, and yes. that's their regular commission meeting. Is that correct? That is their regular commission meeting. I understand that the oil and gas permit issue is an, one of the um, items listed on their docket. I don't know if they're going to be having a lot of public comment um, or allowing for public comment at this hearing. We don't exactly know the format yet. All we and know how is will that we find that out? Docketed. Um, I hope that something is going to get published on their website soon. I understand that nothing has been published specifically on the on this particular meeting or issue. So, you know, I mean, from my work, I've asked people to send emails, and I know many people did, to the county commissioners, um, letting them know, you know, I've asked people who are geologists or engineers uh, to send uh, comments to the commissioners of, you know, specifically about this water comment, um, as we know that uh, James Dominguez, the vice chairman, District 1, is who said, who's come out with his water concerns, uh, and, and uh, I've quoted him in my column. I know you didn't want to go there probably, but <laughs> I've referenced that specifically. And um, so I, I, I'm hoping that those comments will have some kind of impact. I hope so as well, and I'd like to thank each and every one of those people um, who are using the rational, common sense, scientifically-based approach, um, which is exactly what the commissioners need to um, understand and um, to learn about, you know, learn about this new process. So thank, uh, you know, your listeners. I thank your listeners for taking the time to, to write a letter. It's very, very important that um, these commissioners hear for, from supporters of um a project like this, um, because we know that um, the other side is doing, um, you know, uh, Xerox copied blind mailings. And um, so these commissioners are getting, um, you know, buried in paper and emails from the other side um, with just um, the story anecdotes, um, non-fact-based uh, concerns that uh, some of these people would have. And, you know, I can't even call them citizens because I don't believe that um, a, a lot of this email traffic is coming from New Mexico residents, much less Sandoval County residents, to these uh, commissioners. And so that's what I think the attorney is trying to parse out is, you know, what yeah, is... One, the, one of the reports that I got from the Jan one of the reports I got from the January 28 meeting said that it appeared that very few of those people were local. That is true. That is true. And Sandoval County is very, very big, and um, there are people from the eastern part of the county, um, you know, that are 25 miles away from um, this project and sometimes even more, um, who be feel that they have a right to comment on this project. I mean, I think the commissioners really do need to hear from um, the people that are in this area um, who really do have skin in the game. Um, those are the ones well, who really have posted. the standing to make comment. Keep me posted. I heard from a local resident yesterday who was willing to kind of try to round up people to go to the to the meeting. Um, so keep me posted, and and we'll see what we can do to help in that.
Of course. So as of right now, the information I have is the hearing is going to start at 6 o'clock. It's going to be held at the um, County Commission Chambers, which is right off of Idalia Road there in Sandoval County. And um, I understand that as of right now, it is an agenda item on the docket. However, if there is a lot of interest, it wouldn't surprise me if they just clear out the rest of the docket and have this one issue um, discussed and public comment taken on this one issue. Yeah. So any support well, that, we can ha that we can have would be much appreciated. We will work on that. I appreciate Kareen Foster, Executive Director of the Independent Petroleum Association of New Mexico. Thanks for joining us today to talk about this important issue um, in the state of New Mexico, but it represents a much bigger battle being played out throughout the United States. Thank you, Marita. We'll be right back with more on America's Voice for Energy. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. This week I'm pleased to have a good friend, Andy Caldwell, join me. Andy is the host of the Andy Caldwell Show in the Central California coast and the executive director of Colab, which we'll let him tell us a little bit more about. But Andy is someone that's important to me because he kind of keeps me up to date on what's going on in the oil industry off the coast of California. And this week's column, Keep It in the Ground at Work in the Real World, addresses that topic specifically. So, Andy, I appreciate what you do for me and America's Voice for Energy and Energy Makes America Great, the organization that I'm the executive director of and uh, appreciate your insights on what's going on off the central coast of California. Well, thank you, Marita, and I'm happy to, you know, be associated with you with both the great work you do. Well, we're, we're, we're good pals together. So to start off with, tell our listeners about Colab first. Uh, Colab stands for the Coalition of Labor, Agriculture, and Business. Um, it started in Santa Barbara County 25 years ago. And there's uh, four, uh, three other collabs in the state. They're all independent of one another, but we primarily serve as local government watchdog and business advocacy organization. Now, Santa Barbara is not known for its uh, conservative values, though that's where President Reagan hailed from. Yeah, well, yes and no. Um, the city of Santa Barbara is quite liberal and progressive. Um, 
and but the rest of the county is primarily rural and conservative. So it's Santa Barbara's kind of an island of progressivism um, in the region, and so is the city of San Luis Obispo. But the rest of the region is pretty darn conservative and rural. It's more like inland California than the rest of coastal California. Would you say that perhaps the the city of Santa Barbara is as as liberal as it is, and San Luis Obispo, as you threw in there, uh, due to the college campuses? I mean, that's certainly what we're seeing in the political uh, arena right now are those that are supporting the most progressive candidate out there, Bernie Sanders. Um, the college, the UC Santa Barbara, University of California, Santa Barbara, certainly uh, lends itself to that because they do vote. The 20,000 students will vote in this year's presidential election, and then they usually vote the down ticket as well, so that is part of it. The other part of it is, in actuality, is our proximity to Hollywood. There's a lot of Hollywood elite that live in Santa Barbara and Montecito, uh, and it's been that way for, you know, 50 or 60 years. Um, and, and then plus there was the East Coast elite, used to also have uh, mansions and homes out here on the West Coast as well. And so uh, they, they go back a long ways to, to violate what would normally otherwise be a, a fairly conservative area that's, you know, rural in nature, but it became a, you know, progressive Central Coast capital. Well, it's certainly a lovely area to live in. If I had the the choice to be there, it's it's one of the one of the many places in the, in the, our magnificent country that I would love to live. So uh, you're blessed to be able to be there. Now let's let's jump into uh, you know oil. You don't think of oil. At, well, you know maybe maybe you all there do. I mean, I remember I grew up in Southern California, as you know. And I know, having been to Santa Barbara in the past, long before you and I met, that when you went to the beach, you very typically got tar on your feet. So oil is a part of that. But I I think the average people in in America don't think of Santa Barbara, the Santa Barbara Channel, as as oil and gas country. Right. Well, you know, kind of a partial answer to that question in your last question has to do with the 1969 pipeline uh, blowout in the Santa Barbara Channel. That gave birth to um, the radical environmental movement, the anti-oil movement here and across the land. And it also it also speaks volumes of the fact that, you know, we have over a billion, one billion with a B barrels of oil off of our coast. And we have at least another billion barrels, B billion with the B on shore. So we're we're pretty oil rich in our region, but um, you know the we've been hamstrung since the 1969 spill on additional leases, and now it's even worse because what happened is the that pipeline break, which wasn't a very big break at all, but the pipeline break that happened in May, well. That pipeline got repaired in a matter of, you know, six to eight weeks total. Well, the feds still have not allowed the pipeline operator to resume operations. And so with no pipeline, the offshore rigs, uh, many of them, not all of them, but most all of them along the south coast, 
have been shut down, and the Exxon refinery has been shut down because they don't have a throughput without the line being up and running. So what's that, what's that done to the economic impact of the region? Well, it's going to be delayed because oil, as you know, is taxed as property, and, and it'll be delayed. Uh, it'll be a, a big hit to the schools. Out here in California, the schools get 40% of the property tax dollars. Fire department gets a cut, uh, and then the county of Santa Barbara will lose a cut. It'll be millions of dollars in lost revenue, plus all those workers got laid off, and they're the highest-paying job sector in the region. So we're going to be in a world of hurt, but as usual, it takes a year or two to catch up. And here's the killer. The county actually believes that they're going to be able to hold the pipeline company responsible for the tax revenue loss, which in our opinion is ridiculous because once they repair the pipeline, the rest of it's on the federal government for dragging its feet in reopening the pipeline. Yeah, because they're ready to open at this point, correct? Oh, they were ready to open months ago. Yeah. Marita, I don't know if you're sitting down or not. I am, I am. The feds have actually signaled that they take them three to five years to resume operations. And they built the pipeline in less time than that. Of course, and most of the time delays associated with that had to do with the permitting process. Yeah, they could build a whole fresh new pipeline between now and then. Except, except for the permitting process. And what you're seeing here is, is what these enviro groups are doing we have another little refinery. Phillips 66 has a refinery in the Pomo, uh, which is in southern San Luis Obispo County, and they want to bring in oil by rail car. So, you know, last week 500 activists from throughout the state showed up at a planning commission hearing to say we don't want these oil trains coming along the central coast, even though they've been coming here for decades. That they didn't want additional rail cars coming here. Well, that brings us perfectly to the topic of my column, which is, you know, this, this whole idea of this anti-fossil fuel movement, which is now manifesting in what they call keep it in the ground. And their intent to block any oil and natural gas development anywhere in America. But there was a, a, a victory for their side last week in your neck of the woods. Can you explain that to us? Well, to make a long story short... Um, yeah, because we're now down to four minutes. We've got four minutes left. Really short. We went from peak oil, which they said we were running out, to keep it in the ground because they realized we have more than we could ever need, at least in the foreseeable future. So now they're back to the, the red tape, obfuscation, lawsuits, and red tape. So what happened is they tried to pass an anti-fracking initiative, and we don't even frack here. And you were out here. That was Measure P. They tried to pass that. But in reality, the devil was in the details. It wasn't anti-fracking because we don't frack here. They were trying to say you couldn't do well stimulation or acidization or other normal routine maintenance procedures, and they tried to stop it onshore. Well, then they caught wind that the offshore had done some of those same things. 
So they tried to get after the feds for allowing the offshore rigs to do this. The offshore rigs were, they, you know, everything was public. It was just the enviros missed it. So now what they've simply done is they've asked for the feds to have to require an assessment for quote-unquote fracking, which they don't need to do here, and, and other things that they deem deleterious to the environment. And all what it is is paperwork. That's all it is because they're requiring paperwork. But they always hope that the paperwork will give them a chance to obfuscate and delay by challenging the paperwork. Yeah, so last week um, they reached a settlement. And the settlement basically says they now have to give public notice if they're going to do fracking. Now, to me, when I looked at this, this is kind of like, duh, so what? It's, it's a no-brainer because uh, they're not doing fracking, as you pointed out. The, uh, the geology off the coast of California is already fracked by Mother Nature. Right. We don't have hardcore rock here that needs to be broken up by water jets. We don't have it. Yeah, it's more of a sandstone from what I understand. Right. So all of this is much to do about nothing, but they're going to claim it's a victory because they can try to, they try to kill things through the delay of environmental assessments and approvals. Yeah, and, and the folks that I talked to on this, my sources said, you know, they're going to have to do a, a programmatic environmental analysis because what they accused the government agencies of doing uh, is, you know, in essence, going behind the rack and kind of being in cahoots with the oil companies when, in fact, these oil companies who get their drilling permits approved have to go through a very stringent drilling process. So now they're going to go through a whole programmatic review, and the sources I talked to said it's going to come back with what we're doing is adequate. Well, plus they don't need to frack. So in reality, this whole thing's a red herring. Yeah. But the point of my column this week is that what this does is it gives them a rallying cry, and it gives them a way to... Um, uh, you know, mo pr provide momentum for their movement. Right. It's another nail in the coffin, another stake in the heart, anything they could do to hassle and harangue. And all the while, California buys 14, goes through 14 billion gallons of gas a year and drives 330 billion miles a year because we're car hogs, we're car-centric society, and these people are trying to cut off our nose in spite of our face. So we got 30 seconds left, Andy. What do you think is going to happen from here? Well, you know, I almost wish the oil industries would vacate California and, leave, and just shut it, shut it down all uh, Atlas Shrugs. I think that's the only thing that's ever going to get the attention of the rest of the people. Yeah, I hate to say I'm kind of with you on that. I was in California last week, paid two ninety nine a gallon for gas. When uh, at home, I pay under a buck fifty a gallon for gas. We're get we got the government and the activists we deserve. Yeah, I, I'm sorry to say so, but Andy, thanks for joining us and updating us on what's going on there uh, in the Santa Barbara Channel. All right, take care. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be right back with the rest of this week's edition of America's Voice for Energy. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, 
but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. This is our closing segment of this week's show where we've been talking about the environmentalists and their opposition to really all fossil fuels, specifically their newer, newly announced campaign called Keep It in the Ground. We've talked about the story going on in New Mexico that I addressed in this week's column, and now we're talking about specifically uh, the efforts in the Santa Barbara Channel and, and the announcement from the Environmental Defense Council about claiming a victory about a settlement. And as I was asked uh, to, to respond to this by the PBS station there in Santa Barbara, I actually hadn't heard about this settlement at all. I reached out to people on my list, and I have about more than 5,000 people on my newsletter distribution list, and I reached out to folks and said, please help me understand what's going on. And one of the many folks who came to my rescue is Joel, Joe Limecooler. And Joe is a petroleum geologist and engineer who has more than 30 years of drilling experience, much of it in the deep water, specifically since 1987. And his comments were really helpful to me as I prepared for that radio interview in Santa Barbara. As I gathered that information up for that radio interview, I uh, realized that this was something that would be appropriate for this week's column. So while Joe's name wasn't mentioned in my column, I appreciate him being willing to join us today uh, live from the Dallas airport, as you can hear in the background. If, if you're a regular listener to America's Voice for Energy, you know that last week I was in the Dallas airport. And uh, so we had some airport noise in the background while I was recording last week and this week. Uh, we have that with Joe. But, Joe, thanks for taking time out of uh, your vacation schedule to talk to us about this important topic. Well, thank you, Marie. It's good to be with you. Now, you have personal experience, though uh, long ago, uh, in the Santa Barbara Channel, and at that time, you found um, real opposition to drilling in the Santa Barbara Channel. Tell us about that, please. Yeah, it was uh, 
It was opposition, but it was also a lack of uh, common sense and reality. I was working for Atlantic Richfield at the time. I was doing a, uh, one summer as a drilling engineer, the other summer as a reservoir engineer. My project as a reservoir engineer was to find a way to keep an offshore platform, offshore platform producer. And it was in the Santa Barbara Channels in the South Elwood field, and oil prices at the time they were all the way down to $5.25 a barrel. So I know people are in a panic over 30. Trust me, it's no fun at five either. But the field was uneconomic, and we were trying to find a way to keep it going. So we put a proposal before the California Division of Oil and Gas, under also involved the Santa Barbara County, I believe it was Board of Commissioners at the time. Tom Hayden and others were on there, or have been in the past. But uh, we put forth a proposal that says, hey, if we keep producing, can you suspend royalty payments to the state of California so that we can at least break even? And then once oil prices rise, we'll give you the royalty payment back plus interest at market rate at prime plus 2%. So we said, hey, it's win-win. The fields stay online. The jobs stay in place. Oil production continues to flow into the state. And uh, it's a good investment for the state because the state loses no money. It actually gains returns. So I put together that proposal, and uh, I didn't put it forward to the state, but others did, and it was pretty much what I heard was laughed out of the room. So that was real clear message to me that uh, at the end of the day, they really, they really were interested more in making sure that we were doing harm to the industry and anything that makes sense. And the real irony here was that on the bottom of the Santa Barbara Channel, Arco had installed these huge, for lack of a better word, metal tarps, and they covered up the natural seats that came out onto the channel. And if we stop production from the oil field and we stop draining the production from those reservoirs down below, those oil seats we projected would return. And if we weren't producing the platform, the seats that were gathered under those tarps, that seeking oil actually fed into the production stream from the platform. So this was a net gain to where we were actually removing natural hydrocarbons from the environment that naturally go into the water in the Santa Barbara Channel, in addition to producing oil and gas. And if you shut the platform down, the tents fill up. And as soon as the tents fill up, the natural secret returns. So we actually included that as an economic benefit that the state would realize if they would agree to our proposal. Those I saw it as a win-win all around, but they saw it as a, anything that could be construed as a win for the oil field, even if it meant a loss for the state of California. They're willing to take the loss rather than grant what some may seem as a win for an oil company. And remind now, me again, how long ago was this? That was in the mid-'80s. It's, it's way back. Mid-'80s. Okay, so, I mean, this yeah, has 80s, been going actually. on. This, this attitude, yeah, and that's kind of what I wanted to point out here yeah. with this conversation, is that this is not some brand-new attitude that has come out, but um, this has been going on for quite some time in that region. Uh, I think so, yep. And, of course, so, this you know, Go ahead. This was 80, 86. It was the summer of 86, so like 19 years after Santa Barbara Channel, which I believe was in 67, if I've got my dates right. So it's about 20, yeah. 20 years after Santa Barbara, and that's still, I think, the defining element for folks on the coast. They don't take into account any of the advances that we've made uh, in, in the drilling process itself and uh, and industries of building, industries record, even including Macondo. I was intimately familiar with Macondo and the events there. And, uh, and Steele had nothing to do with drilling. It had to do with the abandonment procedure that was improperly used, improper evaluation of barriers that were placed in the way. And uh, sometimes we'll lose sight of the common things. 
<laughs> no, you know, when you talk about that, the deep water, one of the things that this settlement supposedly addresses is they are uh, claiming that the Boheme and Bessie are, were permitting, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we're, uh, you might be able to notice my voice is a little rough, getting over a, getting over a bad cough. But anyway, um, that they're accusing Boheme and Bessie of what a, appears to be kind of carelessness in allowing uh, these companies that are, that are operating in the Santa Barbara Channel right now, that they're accusing them of um, allowing these companies to frack without notice, but, but that's not really what's taking place there. No, not at all. So, uh, under the OTS, the, the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management governs the, uh, the resource and the Bureau of Safety and Environmental Enforcement, or BSEE. They govern the actual application and practices and procedures that are used, and everything that we do has to be pre-approved by BSEE in terms of our complete drilling operations, well completion operations, as well as well production operations. We pretty much have to submit a plan we have to follow that plan rigorously, and if we deviate from the plan, we have to notify Bessie of what the deviations are, and including risk assessment, safety analysis, uh, even any kind of fracking operation or any kind of drilling operation currently done offshore now includes what's called a broaching analysis, which means what if the worst possible thing were to happen? and you actually had underground flow from one zone into another, is there any way that that activity could broach to the seafloor and cause an unintended release of hydrocarbons? So I have not done any drilling in the Pacific side of the coast. Actually, there's been no new drilling in the Pacific side of the coast for over 30 years. So unless you're with a company like ExxonMobil who has ongoing drilling operations, you're not opposed to it. But I'm assuming... That same rigor that's applied to the Gulf of Mexico is applied to the Pacific. And uh, although I'm not certain, I don't see why it would not be. So from my experience, over 30 years of dealing with the regulators at uh, what was formerly the Minerals Management Service, now Bessie and Bowen, I've always found these folks to be extremely competent, a rigorous but fair regulator. And uh, it, it really gets under my skin when people portray them as being in the back pocket of industry. I've never found anything to be the case in my 30 years. Yeah, you know, the, the others that I talked to that gave me input when I sent out my request for help on this particular topic said basically the same thing. They, they told me that really there's no fracking going on there. There's not new drilling. And so the fact that this so-called settlement claims that uh, they're going to put a hold on all applications until March, or excuse me, until May 28th is really kind of just a smokescreen. Well, like I said before, I'm not active in the area, but uh, I would imagine that right now at these oil prices, there's nobody going out there and spending millions of dollars on a well completion when uh, it's not something that's absolutely required to maintain a lease. It's something that you could defer. So it's probably true. Yeah, yeah, and it's just it's a short delay of uh, you know basically four months, three months of review that they're supposed to do a programmatic review. And the people that I talked to said that they expect that once the review is done, that they'll come back and say, yeah, everything is good. We're doing the right thing. But yet, this is something I believe that the anti-fossil fuel crowd, the environmental 
um, activists who are opposed to drilling and have been trying to stop this uh, in, the, in the Santa Barbara Channel, as you pointed out, uh, literally for decades, that they're using this kind of as a, a, as a fundraising tool, as a, a way to uh, gain momentum. I think that may be true. However, uh, the thing that I am I, I get concerned with this is that the, the old adage, the more times you repeat something, regardless of whether it's true or not, it becomes fact in some people's minds. And therefore, that becomes your basic. So I'm always a little bit wary about saying, well, gee, this seems to be denying. We shouldn't really contest it or anything. We'll go along with it. It'll come out in our favor. That's well, I agree with you totally there. That's why I'm drawing attention to this. Uh, because, uh, you know, the report showed that ExxonMobil and the American Petroleum Institute, API, that they did not, they agreed to not oppose this settlement. Now, they didn't sign off on it, but they agreed to not oppose it. And one of my sources said, well, you know, this is building momentum to something, uh, towards something bigger, specifically the Gulf of Mexico, which is where you do have a lot of expertise, Joe. Uh, and, you know, what's the story on fracking in the Gulf of Mexico? Well, our fracking that we do in the Gulf of Mexico is simply to uh, get beyond what I call the damage zone. So when you drill a well, you got to drill a bit down there. It is grinding and, and, and uh, chipping and grinding through the rock. It creates a lot of fine particles. You always drill with the pressure of your fluid in the well is greater than the pressure of formation. So therefore, you're always pushing solids, grind up rock, rock chips, rock cuttings. You're pushing that into the pore space that you want the oil to eventually float, flow through when you drill your well. So after we drill a well, we'll run cement pipe in the hole called casing cement and we'll bond using cement formation for the casing. Then we'll blow holes in it using plastic-shaped charges, plastic explosives. And then we would like the oil then produced through those, those perforation tunnels. But in order to do that, we need to clean up the uh, impairment that's been done in the formation that restricts flow from the actual drilling process itself. So what we'll do is we'll actually do a little frack. Instead of fracking thousands of feet long and hundreds of feet away from the well bore, we typically frack just 3 to 30 feet out of the well bore. And we, by design and intentionally, you never want that frack to leave the sand within which we want to produce from. So it's a totally different application of fracking. It's an order of magnitude lower on the scale than what you see elsewhere where people are concerned that it could get into the groundwater, even though there's no evidence, that clear evidence that that has, has happened. But nonetheless, the actual physical work we're doing is, is an order of magnitude, 1% 2% of what is done with what people envision to occur while fracking shale for oil, tight oil, and for natural gas. So totally different process, huge amount of controls, a high degree of, of expertise is applied, and I honestly see virtually zero risk. Actually, you could make a strong argument there's less risk because the more productive I am with the wells that I drill, then the fewer wells I have to drill to drain a given set of oil in a reservoir. So therefore, you think people would be encouraged about technology that allows me to be more efficient, uh, lower the actual number of wells I need to drill, and produce an equivalent or even greater amount of oil. So once again, it's one of those scenarios where if you're environmentalist, I want to see less wells. I'd like to see less drilling rigs. Even though it can be safely managed, I'd like to see less of it. Great. I'd like yeah. to do less of it, too, because I don't want to spend the money. I'd rather do an efficient job to begin with. 
Joe, I appreciate you giving us these insights on this. We're out of time. I hope you have a great vacation. And uh, Joe Limecooler, thanks for joining us today on America's Voice for Energy. All right. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much, and we'll be back with another episode next week. Thanks for listening. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.